Hello, and welcome back. I'm Claire McClanahan, producer here at Gen Z Media. We've been talking with Ben Franklin expert Dr. George Boudreau about founding father and inventor Benjamin Franklin. Today, we're going to learn more about the world in which Benjamin Franklin lived. Dr. Boudreau, as you know, season two of Young Ben Franklin takes place in New York City. So tell us a little bit about what colonial life was like in New York City at that time. I think in some ways, it must have seemed like an exciting time to be alive because the world was expanding. New opportunities were opening up, new technologies, new methods. You know, the novel was invented when Benjamin Franklin was a young man. Magazines were being founded for the first time. Newspapers were spreading. So you could sit in New York and read about the price of butter in Boston. And that was exciting. I think it was also a scary time. And if today's kids are scared and wonder, are bad times going to come get us? And we've had to live through that. And we've had to live through schools getting shut down from COVID tests. And, you know, we have to think also they did too. Benjamin Franklin's first son died of smallpox. These kids haven't seen measles, but it was like a highly, highly contagious, deadly version of the measles. We've talked a lot about Ben Franklin, the statesman, founding father, inventor, a revered man who made important impacts on the world as we know it. But when looking back at history, I do think it's important to look at the whole picture, the whole story. New York City at that time had one of the largest populations of enslaved people. What do we know about Franklin's connection to slavery, and what can we learn from that part of his story? Well, slavery is a founding part of the story of what is now the United States of America. The first enslaved people from Africa were brought into the Virginia colony in 1619, and that trickle of people who had been captured through acts of war and taken into enslavement becomes almost a flood of people during Franklin's lifetime. It horrifies me to say it, but a lot of people, most people, the vast majority of people in the English colonies and in the English-speaking world saw nothing wrong with that. And Franklin, as we've said, becomes prosperous over his years in Philadelphia And over the course of his life, he buys or acquires between six and nine people who he holds in slavery. And when you go through a a lot of, not all, but a lot of Benjamin and his wife Deborah Franklin's letters survive, and a lot of that correspondence deals with um, those enslaved people. The world is full of inspiring people who've achieved unimaginable feats. Whose Amazing Life is a podcast from Wondery for the whole family that celebrates these one-in-a-million stories. We walk you through the life's journey of a legend in their field. But here's the trick. You won't know whose story you're hearing until the end of the episode. Follow Whose Amazing Life on Amazon Music, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen. You can listen early and ad-free by joining Wondery Plus and Apple Podcasts or the Wondery app. How do we reconcile that? How do we make sense of it or teach or even understand how one man 
could make such an important contribution to society while also engaging in undeniable violations of human rights? I don't know that we can. There's no way I'm ever going to sit down and try and justify someone who owns slaves. What I can say, and one of the things that's always fascinating to me about Franklin is, as time goes on, he becomes anti-slavery. It is true. He did not oppose the U.S. Constitution in 1787. And this Constitution, when it was written, was a pro-slavery document. It guaranteed the rights of white men and women to own black men and women and children. It secured that. But over time, one of the glorious things about the U.S. Constitution is it was written so we could change it. And we will, I would imagine, especially after the last year, we will see constitutional amendments in in the next few years to guarantee people behave themselves a a little better. But Franklin, uh, at the end of his life, well, not just at the end, from middle age onwards, he's making anti-slavery statements that resonate. At the end of his life, he said he opposed slavery. He became the president of the Pennsylvania Abolition Society. He wrote the first anti-slavery petition to the U.S. Congress, which really made some Southern congressmen furious. One of them said Franklin's gone senile, but uh, Franklin just said, "This enough is enough, this has to end. And putting his own money where his mouth was, he left quite a fortune to his daughter and son-in-law, but he said he would only release the money to them once they had freed the enslaved man who they owned. Uh, I mean, I think that the the resonance of Black Lives Matter in 2022 grows out of the violent enslavement of Black people around the world in the 15th, 16th, 17th, and 18th centuries. But Franklin did start to change that and was the founding father who most articulated this idea. While it's commendable that Ben Franklin evolved in his views, he does bear responsibility for not coming to the cause sooner or doing more to end slavery in his lifetime. There is so much more for all of us to learn about this, and that learning will be ongoing as we all evolve and seek to create a more equal and just society. Join us next week for the final installment of my conversation with Dr. George Boudreau, and stay tuned for season two of Young Ben Franklin, Welcome to New York, when it premieres on February 23rd. Hey, Prime members, listen to Young Ben Franklin, ad-free on Amazon Music. Download the Amazon Music app today, or you can listen ad-free with Wondery Plus Kids and Apple Podcasts. Grownups, before you go, tell us about yourself by completing a short survey at wondery.com survey.